Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the RPG Academy podcast. I am Michael, and I have brought along with me, as I always do, my favorite co-host and yours, the Caleb G. Caleb, how are you doing tonight, sir? Today, I am thankful for the cold temperature because it is numbing the pain that is coursing through my body. How are you doing, Michael? You know, I'm not doing too bad, actually. I'm not as happy about the cold weather as you. I actually enjoyed the fact that it was like 65 and a blustery, breezy day yesterday. And it's supposed to be snowy tomorrow because we live in Ohio and, you know, Ohio. Well, you're an old man. I, I am a very, very old man. But otherwise, I am doing quite okay. Thanks for asking. That's good. Yeah. I mean, it could be worse, right? Could always be worse. Could always be worse. So today is going to be a faculty meeting episode 104, Contested Roles. Whoa, that sounds scary. It, yes, especially the way I say it, which is poorly. Uh, but the, the reason that we gather for these faculty meetings is so that Caleb and I can talk about our recent games and sort of the general state of RPGs. And we hope that through this conversation, we can share some of the experience he and I have gleaned from our many years of playing tabletop RPGs. But we do understand that the opinions we share and the advice we give may not work at every table every time. But there is one piece of advice that we do feel is pretty universal. And Caleb, what is that one piece of advice? If you're having fun, you're doing it right. That is correct. So no matter what game you play, which system or edition, or what rules you use, don't use, or misuse, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. And with all that out of the way, do we have any announcements for today's episode? Attention faculty, students, and academaniacs, here are today's announcements. Well, I think the most important announcement is that we are but a few weeks away from the Academicon 2017 Kickstarter going live. What? Yeah, I know. Who'd, who would think that we would talk about Academicon on these faculty meeting episodes? It's such a rare occurrence. <laughs> I'm more like, well, we're only a few weeks away? That seems scary to me. Well, hey, I guess these cold jokes that I made at the top of the episode don't make any sense if this episode isn't going to come out for like two months, right? That's true. Eh. It's actually, it's going to make no sense whatsoever, but that's eh. okay. Whatever. Editing. The Catacon Kickstarter is kicking off on April 13th. There will, of course, be... Early bird badges, GM badges, regular badges, VIP badges, and all kinds of goodies. As we get closer and closer to the actual start date, we will, of course, be keeping everyone updated and excited on our various social media platforms. And I think that is the most important announcement. If there's anything else going on, I, I don't even know how to handle that. No, I think that's good for now. So, uh... So before we move into today's show proper, we want to take a moment to let everyone know how they can get a hold of us. So if this is your first time tuning into the Academy or you're a longtime listener, but you have comments or questions or concerns that you want to share and you're not sure how to do that, this is how you can get a hold of us. On Twitter, you can find me at the RPG Academy, and you can, of course, find my co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And if you want to send us something that takes more than 140 characters, you can use email. Those addresses are Michael at therpgacademy.com, Caleb at therpgacademy.com, or the very general inbox, podcast at therpgacademy.com. Fantastic. So with all of that out of the way, let's get into today's show proper, and we are going to start with our Gamers Lexicon. Gamers Lexicon. And this is where we talk about a term, a phrase, some sort of nomenclature that if you are new to the RPG scene, you may not exactly understand. Maybe you see it in a forum post or something. And we are going to try to give you a little bit more of understanding what it, of what that means. So, Caleb, what is today's gamer's lexicon? PVP, which stands for player versus player. Okay, so I'm familiar with that term as far as video games. Uh, how does it relate to role-playing games? In my opinion, it means the exact same thing, but I don't believe we agree on that. So why don't we dig into this? Okay, so we'll start with what, what the general consensus terminology, what you think it means. So general terms, PvP is what happens when two of the make-believe characters that we have created and are playing this game of make-believe with are clashing. 
whether they are clashing in actual combat, whether they are having a conflict of opinion or ideology or philosophy. PvP is when these these characters come into some sort of conflict. And I believe the difference here, and I believe what's important to highlight is that this is not simply a conflict that is resolved by role-playing. If we really want to split hairs and go crazy, we could say that anytime characters are debating a topic that is some sort of PvP conflict, and we are choosing to maybe resolve that via role-play and discussion instead of rolling dice, I think that might be going a little bit too far for the purpose of this definition. We probably want to say for the terms of this discussion, that PvP is when mechanical parts of the game are involved in resolving this conflict, when we're rolling dice. If we're rolling dice to hit each other with swords and spells, if we're rolling dice to have opposed skill checks or ability checks, I think that is a little bit closer to the term of what we want to look at here in PvP. Okay, so... Kind of my thoughts, again, going back to the video game analogy, that in a lot of games, you may have a PvP option that you can turn on or off. And for example, if you're playing, I think, like Baldur's Gate, if you have PvP on and you drop a fireball in the middle of the the group, everyone takes damage. If you turn off PvP, then you can throw a fireball right down in front of everyone's feet and only the bad guys take damage. So it's sort of like an on-off switch for whether or not you can harm other characters that are within your party. And I think for some people in role-playing games, this is something that needs to be discussed as part of a session zero. Not necessarily like if I drop a fireball, is it going to hurt everybody? But are we as a group going to allow players to conflict with each other? You know, are they going to be able to steal from each other if one of them is a rogue? Um, Are we going to allow them to fight if, if the barbarian and the cleric get into a heated argument over how to deal with a prisoner? Is it allowed in the game that they will come to physical blows and fight? You know, being a role-playing game, I think uh, the purest answer is yes, of course. But for me personally, I really don't like that. And and I would rather set a ground rule that no, we are not going to get to the point where people steal from each other. We are not going to get to the point where we fight each other. That's just not how this game is going to work. We have to resolve that a different way. So for me, it's just sort of a choice. It's an on-off switch that you can have or not have. But if you are going to have it, then I think it still helps to have some ground rules. And with that, we're going to move into the main topic, which is kind of how you would deal with that. So we're going to talk about contested roles. Attention faculty, students, and academaniacs. Please proceed to the auditorium for a general assembly. Uh, This is where one player character and another player character or maybe an NPC are actively opposing each other and mechanically how this is going to look or how this is going to work at the table. So what are some common, other than combat, because we'll, I think combat is a different animal, but other than combat, what are some examples you can think of, Caleb, of how characters, player characters, might interact with each other in a PvP situation where mechanics are going to be involved? Well, the first thing that comes to mind are skill checks. Let's take something on the physical side of that, some sort of acrobatic or physical contest, uh, a wrestling match, a, a race, who can climb the cliff first, who can do the most stylish acrobatic performance to get the attention of the crowd. Those, to me, those could be things that are not necessarily a conflict, but they do involve the mechanics of the game to determine who the winner is. I think there's a subtle difference there that that we probably have, we have two lines, like a, like a, a forking path here. Because when we talked about PvP at the, at the earlier, just moments ago, I was thinking of this as absolutely like, fighting against one another, whether it be in combat or like actively opposing each other. Like you said, you know, you're trying to steal something. I'm trying to steal it first or we're wrestling over something. 
But there are some times where characters may not necessarily be like conflicted, but they are still working against each other or they're, or they're doing things that put them in opposition. And it's almost like a philosophical difference of whether this is just who can do it first versus I win, you lose. Uh, so like a race would be a good example. We're not really in conflict, but if we're going to see who can get to the finish line first is different than we're going to try to arm wrestle or we're, I'm going to try to open the door and you're trying to close the door where we are directly against each other where we have stats or abilities or skill checks that we roll in opposition to one another versus like setting a DC in a foot race and whoever beats the DC by more might win. So let's, let's start with the one, like the foot race, where we're not actively opposing each other. So I think a foot race is just a good example. You and I both have a character. There's something 100 yards away. Who gets there first? And how do we determine that within the rules of the game? So that's a series of skill checks. That could be a skill challenge. That could just be one roll off to see who does it first. It could be a series of DCs to see who advances or falls behind. There are several games other than D&D that have a mechanical structure for a chase scene. And they typically involve you make a check. Depending on your results, you may move ahead or fall back or stay even. And the length of the chase scene determines how many rolls are made. Or there might be a rule, the first person to get X number of successes above the other person is declared the winner. There's a lot of different mechanical options like that. It depends on how in-depth you want this to be. If this is a very impromptu Hey, let's race to see who gets there first. Yeah, let's go. Uh, skill check. Give me a dex check. Whoever wins, wins. Give me an initiative check. Whoever wins, wins. You could have that be very quick and on the fly. As a GM, if you need to scramble and do that, you don't have to make it complicated. Honestly, the more complicated you make it, the more it could take away from the fun of, hey, let's have a race. Hey, let's see who actually wins mechanically, not just what's best for the story. Just a quick check and you're done. I, I think that's pretty simple and easy. Yeah, that's I, I'm very I'm, I'm conflicted about this one because the part of me that wants to keep the game moving and wants to make things very simple sort of leans towards the well, let's just look at every, you know, let's look at your decks. Whoever's got the highest decks wins. Like we don't why do we even have to roll? If I have a 12 dexterity and you have an 18, you are clearly faster than I am. So like why do we even need to worry about rolling at all? But as from the player standpoint, that seems very, I feel like it would be very unsatisfying to me if I was, especially if I was the person that had the lower dexterity, you know, like, isn't there a chance that I could do something to affect the outcome? Maybe it's almost like an initiative and I just get a better start. And maybe that, that better start off the, the starting line is enough of a, an advantage that I can stay ahead throughout the race. Or can I do something during the race? Can I knock over an apple cart? Can I, you know, try to throw some marbles down so that you come tripped up? So I think as a player, I would want it to be more involved and I would want it to be more than just one role or just a comparison of stats. Because just like when my example, if someone says, is there a chandelier? Yes, there's a chandelier because they want to do something with the chandelier. So you want to put it there. If someone says, hey, let's race. And the other character's like, yes, let's race. They want to race. They want this to be a thing. So why don't we let them do that? You know, why don't we let them play? But I'm also concerned about, does it take so long that the people who aren't involved become bored? So it's, it's a, it's like a, I don't know, it's like a juggling act in my mind of, it's probably going to de determine, or it's probably going to depend on what else has been going on that session. Like, do I feel like this is a time reading my table where we could take 10 minutes and make this race and try to make it fun for everybody and everyone's on board or do the people who aren't involved think this is silly and they just want it over with. So that's probably going to inform the way that I do it. But if I'm not going to do the simple compare stats and I'm not going to do the simple one roll, whoever gets higher wins, then I probably would do it the way I do skill challenges where I set the DC and then it's an accumulation of successes over that would determine the winner. So I may, I may say 15. And if you get five over the DC, then that's five points towards that success. 
and then I would allow them to manipulate those successes by doing things. If if one of them wants to make a check to try to trip the other one or, again, throw an apple cart down or whatever, then I would have that affect the DC of their opponent for that turn, which makes it harder for them to get above, but not impossible. So you could still roll really high, and even though there was a apple cart in your way, you could leap over it and keep running. So I think those are kind of my three levels. Super simple, just compare stats, high stat wins. Um, next level, one roll, whoever gets highest above the uh, DC wins. Or if I want to really make it involved and make it what I hope to be fun, is it would be multiple skill rolls, trying to get to a target number above the DC with the, the ability to interact with each other and affect each other's rolls. So what would you say to add to that? I think those are great solutions. Obviously, we are talking about Dungeons & Dragons here, so all of the mechanical answers Michael just provided are skewed towards that D20 mechanical system that we use here. But that pretty much carries over to most other tabletop role-playing systems. I think those are great options. I think ultimately the deciding factor is how is it coming up and what is its impact on the story? If it is something, just a quick throwaway moment, do something simpler. If it actually matters to the plot and the story, you might need to do something a little bit more complex. We've said before, and this is not an unknown statement, that you should roll the dice when it matters. When You should roll the dice when chance matters when not just saying what the outcome is matters. So if your characters want to have a race and the players are content just to narrate out what happens, let it happen that way. If one player is saying, okay, I, I race ahead and I, uh, I, I look behind, but I'm running really, really fast. And the other guy is saying, okay, cool, but I am ducking down an alley and coming out ahead of you and I tip over an apple cart. And the other guy says, okay, cool, but then I jump up in the air and parkour over it. And they're just having fun. Why would you interrupt to say, okay, someone roll a die? Just let it happen. But if they say, hey, let's have a race. And then there's silence as they look at you with expectation. Then you need to come up with something. Yeah, I, I, it also makes me think of the type of game that you're playing in. Where do you have players who like to take narrative control? And you could just say, okay, this turn, you know, Andy, you're ahead. What does that look like? And let both of Andy and Sarah narrate why Sarah fell behind or why Andy was able to get ahead, then have them roll again so that the DM is not forced to, to try to come up with all this creative narrative description. You can let the players kind of handle that. But if you have players that don't want to do that, then you may have to as the GM. I think for me, what I would think of is if it was an NPC, so like if it was your character and you wanted to try to outrun an NPC, I'm probably more likely to let that just be a comparison of your stats or one role. If it's like a main bad guy, whether it be the, the you know, the BBEG or just like a named NPC, uh, a rival, I would be more likely to want to make it do more of a contested role, multiple role situation. And if it was another player, then I think that's probably when you should do multiple roles to give there a, a little bit more of a chance of some success coming out of nowhere and make it a, a true competition. But I think, I think what you said that was important is does it really matter? If if it really doesn't matter who gets there first, then maybe then that's when you should just kind of do a very quick comparison. But if it if it matters to the story, if it matters to those characters and their relationship, then I probably would be more inclined to make them roll multiple times as well because you're you're adding to the tension. If this matters, whoever gets there first matters. And, you know, we can think of a, a million different reasons why whoever touches the first thing. I mean, Harry Potter and the Triwizard Cup, uh, you know, the fact that who touched it first, whatever, as an example. Um, it's a big deal who, who gets there first. Then I want there to be tension. I want there to be drama and multiple roles with varying degrees of success and failure is much more dramatic than one role or just compare stats and, OK, you win. Yes, absolutely. Just like the majority 
of the advice and the discussions we have here in faculty meetings, there is not one answer. And in this particular topic, I think that fluidity and flexibility of our answer is even more important. This isn't just a, well, here's one extreme, here's the other extreme, find your location somewhere in the middle. There are multiple axes of how contested or conflicted roles can be resolved. There's the axis of whether it matters or not to the story. There's the axis of, is this truly a character versus character? Is this character versus NPC? Is this, is this character versus an important NPC? Is this character versus someone you made up on the fly and doesn't have any stats? And if you're comparing stats or rolling stats, you then have to take more time to make that up. There's the axis of... What do your players want? What kind of what type of game are you playing? What's your preferred experience at the table? Where's the tension? Where's the threat? Where are your players having fun? Does taking the second to resolve a race make everyone else bored? Are you ignoring other players for the sake of these two people who are doing a thing right now? There's no easy, if it's this, do that. If it's this, do that. The only way to know this is just to know your table, know your players, have some ideas in the back of your head, have some options. And a lot of this stuff comes up during your session zero. We harp, harp, harp on session zero. It's so important, especially for this kind of thing. Michael, you said this a few minutes ago. During the session zero, you have to determine whether or not you guys want this option on or off. Do your players care if this happens? Do they want it to happen? Do they not want it to happen? You gotta get that clear and understood by everyone as part of your social contract at the gaming table. When I was learning how to play D&D, that was just told to me. That's how it works. If the rogue wants to try to steal from the paladin, roll it. Write down what you want on a note card and hand it to the DM and see what happens. I've always thought that's just part of it. That's part of what D&D is for me. Those old tropes about stay up all night because that guy who plays the rogue is probably going to try to take all my gold and magic items. Sure. That Okay. Uh, the paladin has to be convinced to walk out of the room while we interrogate the prisoner or else he's going to try to save him or come to blows with the fighter. Okay, yeah, that's that's playing the character. If I'm playing the role, that's part of it. If I'm playing the role of a rogue, yeah, I'm going to try to screw everybody over and steal stuff. I don't see any problem with that whatsoever. That's the kind of game I play. That's the kind of people I learned to play with. That's not everyone's experience. That's not right for everyone, but that's not wrong either. No, it's it's a play choice. It's a style choice. I just think that uh, it needs to be uh, read. It needs to be on, on board, everyone on top of the table, because if you assume that it's okay to do that, and I have assumed that it's not, and then you're playing the rogue and I wake up and all my stuff's stolen, as a player... I may be upset, not just as a character, but as a, as the player, I may feel hurt or uh, aggravated or angry or whatever, which is kind of what was I was trying to touch on at the main beginning with the difference between players and characters. Like, you know, our characters might fight, but are the players upset? Like, am I actually upset at Andrew or am I actually upset at Sarah because of something that happened in the game? Then that's that's an issue that needs to be dealt with probably by the GM or just, you know, take a five-minute break, everybody smoke them if you got them, let's calm down. But if I understand that that's the type of game we're playing, and you're able to steal from me as a rogue, then I'm just going to be like, ah, oh, you got me, but I'm going to get you back. You know, and that's just part of the fun. I just, as you said, not everyone buys into that, and I don't think it's fair to assume either way what's going to happen without explicitly being told, this is a game where we can do this, and you need to understand that. Yes, Player conflict is a completely separate topic, in my opinion. Yes, they're all related. Everything is intimately related. We can't ignore one part of tabletop gaming to talk about another one. Everything is connected. 
However, when we say PvP in this context, I immediately think of either the massive multiplayer online RPG context, in which case it is direct, my made-up character is going to punch your made-up character, whether we're in an open-world setting or in an arena, and we're going to see who wins, or it is the more broader term of our made-up characters are in some sort of conflict, whether that is physical, discussion, ideological, philosophical, something like that is happening. And I think the second is what happens more in tabletop gaming, because it's not just about running around punching and throwing spells and summoning the pet purple tiger that you paid for at Christmas time. <laughs> it's two different types of games. A video game PvP is yes, we're gonna we're gonna fight. We're gonna have a brawl. We're gonna throw down. Tabletop role-playing games, it's it's much more about, well, I want to do this. Well, I don't think you should do that. I don't want you to do that. Well, I do want to do that. It's that <laughs> type of thing. And right. this is one of those areas where real life and game world tend to blur. And it's really hard to separate. I, as a player, am saying something as a character, but you as a player are reacting as a player, not as a character. Or I'm saying something as a player and I'm upset, but you as a player are just reacting as a character and that's making me upset. <laughs> I think that is why a lot of people choose to say that's wrong. PvP doesn't happen. Contested roles are illegal. You cannot roll an ability check against another player character. You cannot try to intimidate or use diplomacy. You cannot try to charm or persuade. There's a lot of GMs that say that's impossible. The game doesn't work like that. Done. End of discussion. I very much disagree, but if that's how you want to play at your table, more power to you. Yeah, we've, I don't want to say we got off, off topic because I think this is very integral to the conversation, but I do want to get back to the mechanic standpoint of if you allow PvP, how do we actually handle that? Because we talked about the foot race and any example where there's two characters trying to do the same thing against each other, but they're not actively fighting. I think that makes sense. But how does it change when we are actively rolling against each other? Now, like arm wrestling is probably strength versus strength. You might get, you know, think of some sort of advantage for technique, but something like bluff and sense motive or intimidate and whatever the opposite of intimidate would be. Uh, I guess I'm almost like a charisma saving throw in a way. But when you want to do it where you're actively opposing each other with either the same ability score or counter ability scores, how do you think that should be handled? So we're, we're in a game where this is okay. We've all agreed that this is going to happen. How does it actually happen at the table? Well, I think you pretty much answered your question as you were framing it. The opposed checks. So we're playing this game where this type of thing is okay and allowed. My character is trying to persuade your character, Michael, to do something that your character might not want to do. I decide to use diplomacy. The GM says, okay, Caleb, make a diplomacy check. Michael, oppose that with sense motive or a, a wisdom saving throw, or will, or whatever, depending on the specific edition we're playing. In my opinion, I think the way it should work out is we make the rolls, we look at the results, and then the GM says, okay, great, Michael, you won. You are not going to give in to this diplomacy check. Roleplay it. That right there gives us the direction of how we want to role play our actions or it could go the other way we're having a discussion in character our characters are arguing i am trying to diplomatically persuade your character to do something he doesn't want to do as we are having this discussion neither you nor i are going to give in we're just going to debate back and forth after a few minutes of role playing the gm says okay Great. This is awesome. I love this. We need to get a resolution here, though. Caleb, it sounds like you've been using diplomacy. Mike, it sounds like you've been opposing that with your logic 
So that's going to be a, a wisdom saving throw. Uh, based on that role play, Mike, you've been doing a hell of a job. I'm going to give you advantage or a plus two. Or Caleb, wow, that was some great logical debate that you were presenting for your side. You get advantage. Roll it. Okay, cool. Now we know who wins. From this point forward, let's wrap it up. Short role play scene to resolve this. Same thing, same result. It's just where the role play happens. Right. So I guess from the me- mechanical standpoint, though, would this still be a single role? You know, because like earlier we talked about the foot race, you could do it as a comparison of stats, a single role or a multi-role, almost like a skill challenge. In a situation where the characters are actively fighting each other, does it make sense to do it as a more involved step-by-step process where you, you go back and forth or just a one-shot type thing? And even and even then, does it make sense? So I guess, for example, because I hear social is still different than physical. I think this is still another forking path that we could get onto. Uh, but socially, I'm trying to bluff you. You are trying to resist my bluff. Do we both roll or do you roll? And then like the DC is based off of me or do you roll to set the DC for the save that I then have to make? So if you're trying to bluff me, do you roll your charisma? And let's say you get five higher than the DC. Does that now mean that I roll my saving throw, but my DC is X where before it would have been Y? Because that's the part I guess I'm trying to get to is the mechanical of, what happens if we both pass or what happens if we both fail on a roll when we're not rolling the same thing against each other, we're rolling counter to each other. So you roll bluff, I roll resistance. If we both fail, what happens? This is where everything gets complicated. We can take this really, really simply, or we could take it much more complex. Let's go to a bluff check. Your, your character is trying to bluff my character. You roll bluff. That's a number. I roll sense motive. If I beat your number, you don't bluff me. If I fail the roll, you do bluff me. Done. We, we don't need another DC because then that's more complicated. If, if we make this more complicated, you're trying to bluff me. The GM then says, okay, Mike, you have to, here's the DC for your bluff. And then you roll against that DC. Now there's a success-fail comparison for you. And then that, in turn, would affect my roll. It's a success-fail against your success-fail. It's just too many steps. In, in my opinion, in a, in a social exchange, whoever's trying to do the thing rolls. Whoever's trying to oppose the thing rolls against that number that was just rolled. So that makes it kind of more exciting then. If you roll a bluff and you got a five... I've got a pretty good chance at beating that five. So, so your bluff could have gone very badly. So that flavors the role play and narration. If you say, I want to try to bluff Caleb's character and the GM says, okay, great. Roll your bluff. Oh, I got a five. Okay. Role play how, how badly that bluff is at a five. Right. But then I get to roll. Let's say I rolled a 10. Caleb, you see straight through what Michael's character is saying. Role play that out. Or I got a four. Okay, man. Uh, you fell for the worst lie in the world. Role play it out. <laughs> right. It's always making it more interesting that way. So basically, you're rolling based off the stat that you're using. And then you could add proficiency if it matters. And then I'm rolling against the same the attribute that I'm using to resist, and it's just whoever gets the highest total. So if I have a 12 charisma and I roll a 13, that's a plus one, which is a 14. If I'm proficient in bluffing, I get whatever. So I can I again say let's say I end up with a 16. And then the person resisting me is going to use like a wisdom saving throw. So they're going to roll and add their wisdom modifier and they gotta get a 16 or higher. So that's basically how mechanically you would want to handle an opposed Yeah, absolutely. Now, something to point out here, you are understanding this in terms of 5th edition. Correct. Which has some limitations because there are less skills. We have the proficiency modifier, and we have the concept of any stat can be rolled as a save. 
I'm coming at this understanding from the earlier D20 era. I'm 3.5 in Pathfinder, where there were 20-plus skills, a little bit easier to figure out how they opposed each other, and you didn't really use your stats for saves. It, it was much more, okay, make an intelligence check. So it, it, I, I think the the 3.5 era, the Pathfinder era, honestly makes this a little bit simpler because there, there was bluff, there was sense motive, there was perception, there could be innuendo depending on the edition you're playing. It, it let you break down this much more nuanced use of the game mechanics. And I think we should also point out that we're hitting the parts of the rules that are a little bit ill-defined. Dungeons and Dragons is great at combat. We haven't touched on, well, how do you want to hand use the mechanics to handle punching someone? That's baked in. We don't have to figure that out. Roll initiative, roll attack. You're punching him in the face or he's getting out of the way. We're talking about social things. We're talking about the more nuanced checks that don't always have the place that they should in the D20 D&D rules. And I think that's what's making it a little bit more complicated. We're talking about social combat. We're talking about debating ideas and philosophy. We're talking about things that blur the lines between role-playing and mechanics. And as great as D&D is, D&D has a focus. And this is not its focus. It's not a criticism. It's just a fact. No, and there's other games that handle social conflict much, much better. But see, I still take the fact that the rules are ill-defined as in a way a positive because then it's flexible and different tables can handle it the way they want to, whether it's opposed roles and, and then DC comparison or just you roll and I roll and whoever gets the highest number wins. Uh, maybe you get advantage because of this or that or whatever. I, I can see I can see doing it multiple ways, which to me is a benefit, not a bug. Oh, absolutely. That's part of what makes role-playing great. There's always more than one way to do something. The fact that we are having so much trouble defining what we're talking about just means it is an area where everyone's personal preference can shine forth. And that means it is so, so, so important to figure this out during your session zero. I absolutely agree. Because part of the reason why I wanted to talk about this is some of the things that I've seen negatively come out of a game because of it. Pretty famously on our show, show, if you go back to A New World, there was a conflict between Nico's character and Rob's character where Nico was playing the paladin and uh, Rob was playing a cleric who was secretly worshiping the god of death. I still hold that he was not evil. We worked that out in his background, but he just worshiped death as a part of life. But he also raised skeletons. Uh, with necromancy, and Nico's character thought that was a sign that he was evil. And in one of the sessions, when he raised a skeleton, Nico's character attacked, and they got into a physical fight, or they were about to. I think Evan's character had to like break them up. And after the game, Rob was legitimately upset. He he thought Nico was basically telling him he was playing wrong, and that he made bad choices on his character because he was, you know, Rob was just doing what he thought his character should do. And Nico seemed to have a problem with that. And after we talked through it, Nico was just role-playing. He, you know, he thought, well, this is what my, my Paralton would do. But he had no personal investment. Where Rob, being the newer player, felt like this was a personal attack, not a character attack. And it caused some tension. And, you know, it took a little while for us to all be friends again. Not, it wasn't like a bad, bad fallout. But there was some hurt feelings. And so that's like my most recent experience with this is it it almost made the game not fun because of it. So that's one reason why I'm just like, let's just don't deal with that. We're all heroes. We're all on the same team. We can get upset at each other. We don't, I'm not saying we can't ever have conflict, but it's not going to come to the point where someone's swinging a sword at another character. Like that's just not going to happen. You have to find another way to deal with it. 
But I'm sure, as you said, there's examples of people having conflict and it being a great thing. And people love it. It's like it makes the session. And they're so excited about it and, and can't wait to get back at the other character that it makes the game more fun. It's totally a preference. But I, I think I've had more experience with it with it being a negative than a positive, which is what's informing my decision that I just tried to avoid it. And I really just don't want to deal with it at my table. The other thing that I've seen, there's, there's two other points I want to make, and then we can kind of move on, or if you want to circle back around to something, is, and I read this a long time ago in an article, and I don't know who it's from, and I apologize, I can't give them credit, but it was talking about the adverse effects of a character canceling another character's action. The whole, I punch him in the face, I'm not going to let you punch him in the face. And that's what leads to the conflict of, well, I want to do this. I want to stop you with roll initiative. You roll your attack, you roll your defense. And it, it becomes a very mechanical way to deal with it. But just, I guess, going back to like the improv idea, I don't like the idea of a character ever trying to negate another character's action. I'm okay with you reacting to it, but I just, I don't like the idea. I don't, it doesn't feel fun to me for a character to stop another character from doing the thing they're trying to do. So I just don't, I just don't like that as a concept, which also, if you don't really allow PVP, that kind of solves that same problem. And then rolling back into the social aspect, and we talked about this a while ago, one of our long-term listeners, James, uh, brought up, we talked about like uh, a bard with a high charisma can just sort of like socially take over the party. Like I'm going to roll intimidate, to everybody in the party, everyone's going to fail because I'm so charismatic. And now they're all going to do what I say all the time. There's a point where, okay, that might work in the moment. Okay. You know, your bard intimidates or bluffs or, or tricks me into believing into doing this thing for you. But that's, that's not like a dominate spell where for now, for the rest of the game, I am, you know, your servant. I'm probably going to get really upset when I later realize that you tricked me. Or someone else points it out. Or maybe when you're asleep, I'm going to throw all your stuff in the river to get back at you because I'm a petulant child. But just because someone does have a good social skill doesn't mean that they can just make the party do whatever they want. Even if you do allow PvP, that's not a, an I win button. A, a 20 charisma isn't a everyone in the party listens to me all the time button, which is, is another possible side effect of doing PvP. So I know I threw a lot out at you. Is there anything in, in that that you want to touch on before we wrap up the segment. I agree that anything that removes player agency is risky. And there's a lot of fear in impacting player agency. That is a hot button topic in this era of tabletop gaming. It makes it a little bit more dangerous when we're talking about two players agency conflicting. One player wants to do this, another player wants to do that in direct opposition whose agency wins. Ultimately, what makes for the best story? We are cooperatively telling a story. We are writing the first draft of a novel. We're shooting the first take of a movie. Where are those exciting moments? That throwdown between Nico and Rob, you're still talking about it how many years later? Three. Over three. Even though it was a negative situation... And you, you came away from that disliking what happened. You bring that up time and time again to learn from it. That was a great moment of the story. It was one of the best moments of that story. That would have been the huge climax of that movie, or one of the climaxes, those characters coming to blows over what happened. That would have been the season finale if it was a TV show. That would have been the cliffhanger. Ultimately, tell the story. Don't shut down telling the story because of a risk of hurting someone's feelings. I'm saying this very carefully here. (laughs) We're adults. If everyone sitting around your table is a grown-up, we need to understand that this is what happens in the game. We're playing pretend. And there's rules that govern how we play pretend, but this is part of the pretend world. Things happen. And if those things that happen, even if I may not like how it happens, makes the story more exciting, 
if I'm so invested in the story that I walk away with some real world emotional impact, that's a damn good story. I, I like the idea of player conflict or character conflict, I should say, because if, if we just we always get along, like we never argue or fight, that's not that's not very realistic. And I, I hate to use the word realistic because it's D&D or it's RPGs, but I'll use Firefly as an example, which is one of my all time favorite TV shows. Those characters often got into conflicts. It's a little bit different because it's a scripted show. But they had different philosophies, they had different ideologies, they had different ways they wanted to handle things. It's not a great example because there's a difference in power structure because Mal was the captain and ultimately he always got his way. Plus he was just a badass and he could get his way anyways. And in RPG, I don't want it to come to, to blows, but I'm, I'm okay with people arguing. I just don't want there to be a point where we roll initiative. I think that to me that's the part where it stops being fun but I'm okay with characters vehemently disagreeing with each other and, you know, maybe one person saying, I, I refuse to be part of this and will, like, leave. And that's like a, a, a tense scene that we can deal with later. I just don't like the idea of it coming to actual combat. That just, for me, it's, it's a hang-up, and maybe that's going to keep me from having a game that can reach a certain height. But I'm okay with that because it's going to allow me a lot more comfort and knowing that it's not, I'm not going to have to deal with it. Again, I'm not saying no one else should allow that. You shouldn't allow it. It's your game. Do what you think is best. But for me, I much prefer just to say, nope, we are never going to roll initiative against each other. That's not the game we're playing. That's fine. And, and you said yourself right there, that's not the game you have fun playing. So when you set up your table and you have your session zero, you have your social contract, that's absolutely correct. Me personally, I love that tension just like you do. I love that conflict. I love seeing it escalate. <laughs> if it escalates to, I draw my sword and attack the rogue. Great. Let's do it. Let's see what happens. Because this story just got way more exciting. <laughs> especially if you're all good guys. Especially if you're in the middle of a dungeon. Especially if you're in the middle of trying to work together to save the world. And now you're punching the snot out of each other. What's going to happen next? This story just got so good. Or you're in the middle of fighting off spectral cat beasts and now you're fighting each other, but they're still alive. You haven't killed them yet. Exactly. Yep. Uh, see, and again, that's the game I want to <laughs> play. That's the, pl that's the people I typically play with. That's the background we share. That's what we think is okay. I'm having fun. You're having fun. We play differently. That's okay. And real quick to go back to what your last point was, there is no master I do what I want button in d and I don't care if your charisma is 32. I don't care if your strength is 40. I don't care what your spell save DC is. There is no I have this so I always get my way button. Just like the discussion we had quite some time ago about how just saying you know an NPC doesn't mean you get your way to escape the dungeon or you get your way when you're trying to race through the city. It's the same thing. I may have an advantage in a situation, but that situation ends. That bard with a 20 charisma might get to, in the heat of the moment, convince the party to go with her plan versus their plan. But later that night around the campfire, there are consequences. And again, I'm going to say this carefully. <laughs> if you are playing a game where you just let things happen and you do not respect the consequences of those things, you are cheating your players out of a better story. All right. Just like let, let, let if, if you, if you have a big combat and an NPC dies and that NPC was important to the plot. Do you just say, Oh, well, uh, he didn't die. You guys are fine. You can keep going. Or do you say, Oh, well, this NPC died. What are you going to do now? What makes for the better story? D do you say, Oh, never mind. He's alive. Yay. You guys can just do whatever you his want. Brother. Or do you Blame say, Phil too. Right, right. Does his brother walk up? Eh, okay. Tropey. Or do you say, all right. Yeah. This guy that had, 
the only piece of knowledge to get you through the dungeon you're going to, he's dead. Deal with it. What makes for a better story? And again, there's a lot. It it always goes back to what you want to run, what your players want to play, what type of game you're playing at the table. If you're playing a, a big, goofy, magic-heavy game, oh, bing, he's alive, you're fine. If you're playing a gritty, real-world, consequence-heavy game, there should be consequences. And whether those consequences are in the game world, if they're between your party members, me as a GM, I do not want to cheat my players out of a better story. Do whatever you want. Roll it. Can I do this? Sure. You can do anything. Roll it. Deal with the consequences. You saying, me telling you as a player, you can do anything. I can do anything too as a GM. We're on, we're in an even playing field here. All right. I'll get off my soapbox. I'm sorry. That, that is why we work so well together because we come at things from different angles and we just had a contested role. And you, you, we did. <laughs> and we tried to convince wow. each other that our way was best. We ended in a draw, but we will leave it to the audience to decide what they thought. Uh, and as always, we'll throw it to the audience. If you have had some experiences with PvP, good or bad, that you'd like to share, if you have some interesting mechanical processes that you have developed specifically to handle it please share those with us as well either on twitter or on the comments of this episode when it comes out facebook page whatever and yeah if you've had some really cool moments that happened because players and characters had conflict let us know if you had some really bad examples let us know that as well we will be happy to share them on future episodes so caleb thank you for your time for tonight for today's general assembly i think i forgot to announce that specifically but we are now ready to move into our last segment for tonight we are going to do a newer segment one we've not done before called cryptozoology and this is where we're going to take the dnd 5e monster manual we're going to flip to a random page we're going to talk about the monster or monsters i guess that are on that page and maybe some ways that we have used them in the past or we can use them or just something about them that might be interesting that maybe you haven't thought of. So I have reached out on Twitter and got a bunch of people who have sent me random numbers for the page numbers. So we have a bunch to choose from. So let me... We are going to go to page 42, the cockatrice. Cockatrice. Cockatrice? One of those. Cockatrice, I think. So if you're not familiar, the cockatrice looks like a hideous hybrid of a lizard, bird, and bat, and it has an infamous ability to turn flesh to stone. So it's like the rabid chicken version of a medusa. Uh, in 5e, they are a half CR, which seems kind of crazy to me since they can turn you to stone. I'm just kind of reading through here. They basically, uh, they, they're omnivores. They eat basically anything. The cockatrice flies into the face of any threat, squawking and madly beating its wings. As its head darts on, out to peck, the smallest scratch can turn you to stone. In mechanical terms, if it hits you, you have to make a DC 11 constitution saving throw, or you start turning into stone. You uh, repeat the saving throw at the end of the next turn. If you succeed then, you're fine. If you fail, you are petrified for 24 hours. So... With that in mind, Caleb, have you ever used a cockatrice before? Any thoughts on how you could use them or might, what might be a fun encounter? I have never used this specific monster. However, I'm thinking of some ways it could be used. I think what's interesting to hit on here is that, at least in this version of the rules, the petrification is temporary. Yeah, I actually didn't notice that I, until I just now read it. I assumed it was permanent, just like a Gorgon or a Medusa, but uh, no. Well, I, that's what makes them different, I think. We have to have to focus on that, because otherwise you've just got the actual Medusa and then Chicken Medusa. That's boring. <laughs> we don't need Chicken Medusa. I don't know. Medusa. I think Chicken Medusa is kind of cool, but anyway. I mean, it could be. It could be. But I think if we look at the fact that it's temporary— this could be a way for a um, an attacking warlord to thin out the defending forces, maybe obtain some prisoners easily. Uh, I, I could see a scene in a movie where <laughs> a, a herd of angry chickens runs through the town and then people are randomly getting paralyzed. 
and under the uh, cloak of darkness, the uh, the henchmen steal away the people that are paralyzed. The next morning, half the town is gone, and the bad guys swoop in because the defenses are all shattered. Um, maybe, maybe the PCs don't realize they got attacked by a Medusa chicken. They blank, they black out and they wake up and they're in a gladiator arena or they're on a different plane of existence or they're in, um, the bad guy statuary and, and they were placed there as decorations, but then it wore off. Maybe another more powerful creature uses the cockatrice as a form of amusement. Kind of kind of like a like a fair game almost. Who can stay unparalyzed the longest? But you're all the slaves of whatever, a, a creepy storm giant or something. I don't know. Uh, some <laughs> big more powerful creature who thinks it's really funny for a Medusa chicken to attack people i'm just kind of rambling at this point what about you a couple things came to mind the first one because i i always like to try to come at things from an odd angle i don't it's just who i am gee really i like the idea of having to make the cockatrice something that you need rather than something that you try to resist so there's like a, a place that you need to go and nothing living can pass through a certain space so you all have to get petrified before you, and then somehow you travel through in that petrified state. Like it's the only way to travel through. And then you get to the other side. How do you get back? You know, what is in this place? How do, how do you get through? Do you get put like on a river, like a boat, like Moses, and you're going down this river in a place that it's, there's poisonous gas and you'll die. So you all get yourself petrified. And then when you wake up the next day, you're through that, that part. I just, I'd really like the idea of, of turning the cockatrice instead of this thing that you fight to this thing that you need. I just think that's an interesting option. And then I kind of like the idea of the Medusa chicken being used by a Medusa in a way that, like when the Medusa uses her gaze, it's permanent. But what if she doesn't like the position you're in? Like, you, like, if, like if aesthetically you don't fit with the rest of her statues. So you, she uses cockatrices to turn people to stone. She gets to look at them for a day, decide if they fit the decoration. If not, then she gets them to move positions. And then once she gets the position she likes, then she'll petrify them permanently. Yeah, yeah. So the the Medusa chicken is now a furniture salesman. Basically. Sort of. Or not a salesman, you know, an accoutrement, an accessory. Uh, going back to your first idea, there's an episode of Young Justice where the reality is split and there's two different dimensions. That is one of my favorite episodes of that show. I love that show, that episode of Captain Marvel. And Captain Marvel could jump between realities, yep. Yep. right? So what if being petrified bounces you to the other reality and that also it's a, since it's a limited status, you only have you only have twenty four hours to be in the other dimension to try to solve the problem. So that could kind of be the the stress of the the ticking clock. Right, right. So something happens in the game, everyone vanishes, or a certain number of people vanish, or whatever the hook is. Your, your characters have to figure out, oh, wait a minute, they got sent to this other magical plane or demi-plane or dimension or whatever. Then they have to figure out, wait a minute, if we're petrified by this one creature, we can bounce that other dimension temporarily. And they can only stop what's happening by being in the other dimension. So now you've got the hook of solving all these problems, finding this creature, getting its effect, and then racing against the clock while you're in dimension X to solve the problem. I like that. I also thought, kind of go along with my first one about going through a poisonous area, it could be something else, like maybe there's a, the, the main bad guy, the villain, is known to like statuary, and that's a way to get inside. Like, you all get turned to stone, you are then gifted to him or her or it, or you're sold, and you're put into that person or that thing's statuary, and then a, a day later you come free and you have to work your way back out and fight the main bad guy that way. Trojan horse. 
Yeah, ex- basically. Um, I also like the idea of there being a culture, you know, like half orcs or orcs come to mind that are very hardy, even dwarves actually. And this is like a almost like a rite of contest, rite of passage or contest. You know, instead of trying to drink each other under the table, you both go fight a cockatrice, and whoever gets t- turned to stone first loses because you have the weaker constitution. Oh, so it becomes like a who can make saving throws the longest contest. Yeah, and then you get turned to a statue and they get to do something really embarrassing to you while you're a statue. <laughs> well, hey, you know what? That sounds like a contested role. <laughs> do we allow that in our type of game? Well, this is more like the race because we're both making a role to do a thing, but we're not actively opposing because I'm not making your check harder or, or more difficult by what I'm doing. Until I start to cheat and try to make it harder for you to make. So your you're going to throw a, mou- a mouse on me, so the cockatrice attacks me instead. So that'd be a, a like a dex check, and I'd have to avoid it like bullet style matrix dodging. Yeah, yeah. Or I try to convince you to drink a couple extra mugs of beer, so you're a little bit loopier, and you might not notice the cockatrice biting you or you might trip and it can jump on your face <laughs> and attack you easier there's a lot i might yeah. have there, there's a lot there's we can do with this so uh hopefully you found some value in today's cryptozoology again it's the first time we've done it we want to do it more often in the future we would like to do specific monsters so if you would like for us to tackle a specific one rather than us doing random draw uh, let us know in the comments to this episode or on facebook twitter other social media let us know what monster you would like for us to discuss on how you could use it or some ways that we have used it in the past so that pretty much wraps up today's episode but before we go we do have two new patrons that have just recently joined and we would like to say thank you to both of them so first up there is T. Reynolds. Thanks, man. And then our second newest is just the initials M.T. So M.T., thank you so much for joining. Uh, Both of them were at five or higher. Actually, T. Reynolds was at 25, which is our highest level. Anything $5 or more gets you access to our secret archive where we have a couple one-shots we've done. uh, Dark Discovery episodes are on there. Those have been on hiatus for a while, but we are just getting ready to start those back. Uh, Really looking forward to getting to that. At $10 or higher, you get added to our patron-only Slack channel, so you can interact with us pretty much directly about anything you want to talk about. $15 or higher, you're in the T-shirt club, and uh, anytime we do a T-shirt sale, which we are going to be doing one soon, uh, you get one automatically, so basically you've already paid for it. So it's not really free because, you know, you're donating $15, but that's what your money goes to for that particular month. Um, and 25 or more is just because you love us. So T. Reynolds, thank you very much. MT, thank you for your donation. And of course, we'll say if everybody who listens to our show would donate just $2 a month on Patreon, I could quit my job and do this full time. Don't think that's going to happen, but let's just throw it out there just in case. And if everyone on here donated $4, Caleb and I both could quit our jobs and do this full time. And of course, that is the goal. So if you're interested in supporting us, Caleb, where can they go? You can swing over to patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And hey, if you guys are going to do this whole let us quit our job thing, go for broke. Get us both out of there. Because if only Michael quits his job, my life is hell. <laughs> yeah, pretty, Please yeah, don't pretty do much that. it would be pretty bad for you. Please don't do that. No new five-star reviews for from iTunes or Stitcher this time, but hopefully next. If you have not yet uh, left us a review, please consider it. Uh, If you don't use iTunes, because a lot of people don't, you can give us a review on Stitcher. You don't have to listen to us through Stitcher. You can just go there and leave us a review because it it still helps us uh, out immensely. So thank you very much for that. And of course, if you don't uh, want to use Patreon to support us, but you shop on Amazon, that is a very easy way to do that. Just go to our site first, click on the Amazon link, and it will take you directly to the Amazon store. And from that point on, you can buy whatever you want. And I would like to give a special shout out to Jen, who recently bought a brand new computer or a bunch of computer stuff because we got a huge order and it was like 50 bucks to us just from her ordering all of her stuff on Amazon. So Jen, thank you very much for that. I really appreciate it. And to everyone else who's bought other little things, that's fine. It all adds up. So thank you so much for that. So that's it for me. Caleb, do you have any last words before we go? I feel if I say anything else, we'll just end up rolling charisma against each other again. And we've been doing that all night. So I think we're good. I'm tired.
Awesome. Well, I can't find my gavel, so I'll add that as sound effects in later. Gavel, gavel, gavel. Until next time, this has been Michael. And this is Caleb. And I declare this faculty meeting adjourned. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at therpgacademy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.